Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Alan Rusbridger, editor at Prospect Magazine and today I'm delighted to be hosting a very festive podcast celebrating a year in the life of our Prospect Lives columnists. Prospect Lives, as I'm sure many of you know, is a series of monthly first-person columns by seven different writers with very diverse experiences of modern Britain. So today I'm joined by three of our fantastic Lives writers. With me here, and if you hear festive sounds, it's because Sheila and I are in a, um, uh, how would you describe this club? A club. A A club. club, okay, a club. (laughs) Um, which will remain anonymous, but there are there are clubbers around us in the next door room. And everybody is having office parties and except everyone's having, for us. I know, it's so sad. We might have a, a glass of dry sherry at the end of this. So <laughs> I'm here with Sheila Hancock, uh, who writes our Long Life column, uh, and she's a much-loved actor and writer who documents her experiences of the world at 89. 89? 19 February. 19 February, gosh. Mm. And then not in a club, but in his uh, shed, which has a fake background of um, of, of summer woods and fields, is Tom Martin. He writes our farming life column, and he has outside his shed is a mixed arable and sheep farm in East Anglia. And finally, neither in a club nor a shed is Alice Goodman, who writes our clerical life column, and she's a poet, librettist, and Anglican priest based in... Cambridgeshire. So, uh, hello, Tom. Hello, Alice. Hello, Sheila. Hello. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, because we, we, we think there will be some new listeners to this podcast, I thought I'd just ask each of you to say a bit more about who you are, what you do, and what sort of things you write about in your column. So, maybe I'll come to you, Tom, first. I described you in one sentence, but give us a, a bit more flavour of your life. Oh well, Alan, it's great to be great to be part of this. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a passionate farmer. I've only been a farmer for six or seven years, but I absolutely love what I do. As you said, we have an arable and a sheep farm here. We grow wheat for bread making. We grow barley to make beer and Maltesers. We grow um, rapeseed to make industrial lubricants and vegetable oils. And uh, we we re- we're really passionate about the environment, about regenerative farming, about being sustainable. And we also love to show people what happens on the other side of the farm gate. So it's great to be able to welcome people into my world. And I love writing the lives column. We talk about 
the various different characters we meet in farming, the learning opportunities, the things I get involved in, and some of the scrapes and mishaps along the way. So it's been a, it's been a great year. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. And, and you write a, a really lovely column, Tom, but I, I feel sometimes reading it that farmers in general feel a bit embattled. I mean, e economically, it's a tough time, but would it be fair to say you feel underappreciated as a profession? I, I think that can happen. I mean, we're, we're at a time now where most people don't have a living relative involved in farming, so a lot of people don't understand farming, but we're also at a time when people have never been more interested in farming. So when I talk to groups of farmers, as I do, I, you know, I say to them, this really is a golden age of farming. I mean, people are fascinated. They really want to know what's going on in, uh, in, in the countryside, and they're really interested in food, so it's a great time. But we do feel, I have to say, sometimes like we're a little bit misunderstood, uh, maybe by our politicians, dare I say, and sometimes by, by other people as well. So that's part of, part of my calling, to, to swing open the farm gate and show people what goes on uh, here on the farm. Alice, is it a great time to be a priest? Is this is the golden age of being a priest? What, what are you trying to do with your column? It's always a good time to be a priest. I mean, it's a good time to be a priest when the Vikings were landing and burning down the churches and killing all the clergy. It was a good time to be a priest during the Black Death. It was an excellent time to be a priest during the Reformation. And it is now because you are in the midst of people being a witness to their lives before God. And especially right now at Christmas, it's a great time to be a priest. I'm hoping I won't come down with anything before Christmas Day. And I'm just about sick of the text to Once in Royal David City. That one is starting to get to me. But I love the people. I love seeing people. I love telling the story. I love hearing the story retold by children and by the line of good people who come up to read the lessons in our lessons and carols. I love visiting people and being visited by people, maybe the latter a little less than the former. What am I trying to do in this column? Well, I suppose I'm trying to get under the skin or possibly under the cassock of the life of a parish priest at this particular time in the life of the Institutional Church of England, of this time in the life of our villages and and of the wider questions of religion here in Great Britain and all of its absurdities. So, so Sheila, I mean, everyone knows who you are and knows what you've done, but, but this, this is a new experience, I think, for you writing a, a monthly column. What, what do you think you're trying to do with it? What, well, I've what... no idea, actually, Alan. I mean, I, <laughs> you, you suddenly out of the blue asked me to do this. I've never done anything like it in my life before. I've done five books. But a co writing a column seemed to me a very specialised thing. And as you probably remember, I said, why on earth are you asking me to do this? But I must say, I'm awfully glad that you have. Although I do find it difficult to keep thinking of things. You know, every month I get in a panic and I always go right up to the wall of the deadline trying to think of what to talk about. But partly because we're published sort of later than we do it, aren't we? There's so a, there's like a gap, you, yeah. You know, and that yeah. makes it difficult. So you can't say yesterday on Christmas Day I did such and such. You should try editing the magazine. Yeah, I mean imagine. we've <laughs> there have been a couple of times where we've gone to press on a Thursday not knowing who's going to be the Prime Minister on a Friday. <laughs> you know, um that's so we true. have to sort of try and do timeless pieces. What I found a, bit, a, a little bit difficult about my column is sort of 
keeping to my age bracket because it's something I don't think of a great deal. Although actually, as I get older, I've got more aches and pains, so that reminds me. But my thinking is not necessarily of an old person, so I want to write angry things about Brexit and all that, but then the rest of the magazine does that, so it's <laughs> not my quite place. A lot of that, yeah. Tom, will you look back and read your column like a diary? I mean, is that how you frame it? I mean, I, I suppose even more than Alice and Sheila, you are ruled by the seasons, and that, that comes across very much in your writing. Yeah, we are very much ruled by the seasons, but actually, I, th I think when I started out, I thought it would be a, a foray through the farming year, but, but we there were lots of kind of high points and, and holidays, holy days almost, if... Uh, um, uh, through that farming year, so so I tend to kind of put, end up pulling those out, and that seems to be the things which people are interested in. And we get into a lot of characterisation: what kind of people are are farmers? What kind of things do they get up to? And and who are they? So it's rather than um, going through the, the the seasons that perhaps we might think in terms of you know spring, summer, autumn, winter. It's almost the the seasons of the farming industry and uh, and the characters that we meet therein. So we've had a, I've had a great time describing some of my fellow farmers and uh, I'm still friends with most of them so uh, I think I think I've done a good enough job I haven't been too close to the bone. <laughs> I, I can't resist asking you and I'm sure you're fed up with being asked but as a farming communicator how do you rate Jeremy Clarkson? Clarkson is is remarkable he's done something which is he's produced some a television program that's popular with farmers and with non-farmers and so I think he's done a great job. And, and some of my very good friends who know me well watched Clarkson's programme and said, wow, I had no idea how, how challenging things can be on the farm. And so he really um, opened people's eyes in a way that they perhaps hadn't. And, you know, for a long time, farmers have perhaps grumbled about maybe country file or, you know, that's not representing farming or not, not presenting farming. Well, Clarkson has done a great, great job of that. So he's been fantastic. And he's a great communicator as well. And he's really shows warts and all. And I think that's what people want. I don't think they want a, a, a presented veneer of, of the countryside and food and farming. I think they want to know what really happens. And again, that's that's why I think the lives column is so interesting. Uh, and I love well, reading the other changed, readers. Wasn't it? I mean, uh, I rather like my profession. I think you've come out of a period of being locked away and farming in a very strange state. Are you having to re recreate yourself in the same way as my profession is? It is a fascinating time and it's, a, it's an amazing time to be a farmer. I would say the pace of change has never been as fast and we'll have robots in our fields really in the next year or two um, and that will make things very, very different. So I think we're in a real... Uh, time of, of reinvention I don't know whether it would be the same Sheila as your as your route through but we're, we're we're in a place now where we have the real blessing the real advantage of being the answer to a lot of the questions that society are asking relating to environment or carbon or or water or air quality or food, food or health mental health as well so it really is an amazing time but it's a it's a very challenging time Tom, as you, you look back over the year, your memory, I hope your memory is not as bad as my memory, but which column gave you the most pleasure to write? I've become a soil obsessive in the last few years, so I thoroughly enjoy talking about soil. I'm aware that, that whilst I do my best to, to transmit that, that passion, it may, not, it may not land fully accurately. But So I really enjoy writing about soil. I, I really enjoy, I've had a couple of fantastic learning experiences. One was at a uh, at a conference in the USA uh, and the other was at a, a soil event 
in Oldthorpe House in uh, Northamptonshire. And so it was great to write a column and to revisit, to kind of put myself back there again and in, in those amazing experiences. So I, I think probably those when I've been talking about my soil learning experiences. Do you have fellow fo- soil obsessives who, who respond to I your column? I must say I love the sound of a soil event. Can anybody go to a soil event or do you have to be a you, farmer? You, you would be... You would be most welcome. And in fact, uh, a, a, do you know, um, as farmers, we think we're, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty out there, but we, we learn a lot. I learn a lot from, as a non-organic farmer. I learn a lot from organic farmers. I learn a lot from gardeners. I mean, gardeners have been, have been using what they call green manure over the winter to protect their soils. And we're, we're starting to use cover crops, which is exactly the same thing. Uh, and in fact, they've been doing it for some years. So I think we can learn from lots of people. So you know, Sheila, if you have even one green finger, you'd be most welcome to join me. No, I haven't. No, plants die when I go near them. They do. They wither and die. Fortunately, I have a lady who helps me in the house who is a genius, and she puts a twig in the ground and it turns into a tree. So that's lovely, but I've only got a little tiny patch. But I, I like being in gardens. I like visiting gardens. I love all that. And, and Sheila, what, what column do you look back on with the most pleasure. Can... I can't remember any of them, Alan, so I can't I tell you, you which I like best. I don't know. Well, quite a lot of them, I mean, there's a sort of undertow of frustration I... at, at the ageing process. Yeah, you wrote, yeah. You wrote a very elegant column about the Queen. Did I? Yes. 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 <laughs> I've been so focused on, I've got a book out, so I've been so focused on publicising that, that's in my head very much all the time, which is a similar thing. I mean, it's writing it's about the day to day. But... Yeah. But ageing bores me. I mean, I really, I don't like talking about hip replacements and all that sort of thing. I I just, I worry more about the future, what we're leaving behind. I mean, my generation have done such harm in every direction. And it's up to us to do our damnedest to see if we can't get on the right path to get out of it. But it does seem huge to me. I find it quite scary. And, And that may be something to do with the fact that genuinely I only have a few years left, although I, you know, I'm fairly healthy, but at 90 you don't expect to live much longer. And so you get in a panic to think what your grandchildren are gonna to have to deal with. And that's why I do take an interest in farming, because it seems to me we have to do something about mass farming. And we have to, as a public, begin to realise that we maybe have to pay a little bit more and eat a little bit less rubbish. And, I, you know, so I am fascinated in your column, Tom, particularly. I, I read it with great pleasure. One of the points of this section at the back of the magazine is to give an insight into your life, farming life, clerical life, young life, the life of a, of a displaced asylum seeker insight into the life of a mental health professional who who also writes about her own mental health issues it's it's quite an eclectic mix i do enjoy the other columns very much and it is an insight to another life particularly the vicar um you know i mean that's a fascinating view of what that's become i'm a quaker so you know the anglican church and the ways of the anglican church are foreign to me in a way but to hear about the everyday task, she wrote that wonderful column about somebody committing suicide and her guilt about it, which I thought was deeply moving and revelatory about what a vicar is responsible for. Thank you, Sheila. I'm glad you liked that column. It's a complicated one because 
although there's a lot about suicide in it, and one suicide in particular, the suicide of a student I knew. It's also about questions of, on the most local level, what it means to be in a parish which contains the uh, county psychiatric inpatient unit, and then the way that the hospital and its history and the stigma that has historically been attached to mental ill health in all its various forms is a huge unspoken presence in the university. And the university is immediately, as it were, next to the hospital. I must say, I mean, I, I enjoy all the columns. I think they're all revelatory in, in one way or another. But I completely agree with, with Sheila that, that I hadn't realised how much the, the, the life... I mean, if you have a sort of stereotypical view of what a priest does, mm. and then you read Alice's column and realise she's an accountant, she's a social worker, she's a, <laughs> the parish official, um, she's, she's dealing with people's mental health, she's dealing with the fabric of the church, she's dealing with church bureaucrats, she's dealing with uh, grieving relatives. I mean, there's so much there. I was talking about this to my daughter the other day, who's an atheist, and you know, couldn't care less if the whole church collapses in, in flames. And I said, well, actually, they are the backbone still of a lot of communities, yeah. even though the pews are empty. When something happens, like warm spaces now with the lack of electricity and things like that, and weddings and funerals, and whenever anything goes hideously wrong in society, people do turn to however they see it, God, do you know what I mean? And because yeah. suddenly are there. And I think we would feel the lack terribly if the church disappeared. I mean, Quakers are fighting for their survival. And I think there was a figure out, wasn't there, that only 40% of the public considered themselves Christian now. Mm. But I think, I think any kind of world without any spiritual dimension lacks something, in my opinion. Do you still go to Quaker meetings? Oh, yes, of course I do. Every, every week? Or yeah, well, you? every week I can if yeah. I'm not working. But, I mean, I, I also um, practice. I mean, Quakers practice their religion. That's the whole point of it. We don't talk about it. We do things. And I went to a wonderful concert last week given by the um, Salvation Army. Um, and they are radiant with their pleasure at serving society, which is what they do. And they do it as an expression of their belief in a God, whatever, whatever you see that as. And without that, their lives would be barren. And these people are so happy. I mean, I envied them hugely. There was a packed Albert Hall full of people who are thoroughly enjoying their lives and their music and everything. I went to a few Quaker meetings. My, my, my brother's a Quaker. Right. And, uh, I mean, I found them fascinating and enriching, but no one had explained the rules. And I felt that there must be rules about who gets to speak when, but nobody explains. Or, or are there no rules? No, you, there are no rules. That's you, the you, wonderful thing about being a Quaker. That's why I'm one. There are advice and queries. We've got a book called Advice and Queries, which is typically Quaker. They'll advise you something. You needn't do it, but we'll advise you. And you can ask a few questions. We don't know the answers. <laughs> but it, but no, but I mean, meeting for worship, as we call it, which is an hour of silence. 
And if you feel moved to speak, and there's a big difference between that and debating, and this is a really good discipline for me, if you really can't not speak, then you can what we call minister. And it can be about a current thing that's going on in society or a personal dilemma or whatever. And then sometimes the meeting will take a theme. But it's, it's very open, very anarchic. I mean, Quakers have always been revolutionaries. And this is a very irreligious thought of mine, but I, but I wonder what happens if you get Quaker bores. I mean, people who can't shut up. And, you and tell them to shut up. <laughs> you tell them to shut to, up. Like that, you say. Yes, you, there's you a wonderful say. phrase. Our friend has been heard, you well, say. You, you interrupt them. Yeah, they? yeah, and you say. And, and they then sit and down. And then they sit down, and down. usually afterwards they'll got say, it, sorry, got sorry. Got Tom, Tom are you, have you got religion in your life, or is farming your religion? Uh, sometimes farming is my mistress, but now I'm, I'm a Christian, so I, I, I have three, oh, three great achievements, I think, and as we look ahead to Christmas, um, three great achievements. One is, is um, uh, being married... <laughs> The other is being a lives writer in Prospect magazine. And the third is uh, I've recently spent a stint as, as the head of parking at our church. There's, uh, we're a church of a few thousand up here in Peterborough. And so uh, the, par- the car park's quite an operation. And uh, I'm not sure whether as a farmer I'm, I'm typecast and uh, uh, out in the car park um, uh, amongst the sheep. I think as a Christian you should be asking them not to come by car. Well, but to well, quite. That's right. Well, and I do. I I do have a policy of applauding cyclists as we welcome people in. Good. I always I always applaud cyclists. Uh, absolutely. One of the columns you wrote this year, Sheila, was about Boris Johnson's haircut. Oh um, God, yes. And how that reflected his general incompetence. I mean, Boris Johnson seems a long way away now, doesn't he? He feels he like does. history. There was a there was a thing on the radio this morning. It was three years ago that he came to office, but. But, um, well, we've had um, two, well, we two, at least two prime ministers away. since then. But <laughs> I, I don't think he will be a long way. He's rather like Farage. They're the sort of people that keep popping up, don't they? I mean, Farage is getting ready to come back. And, I, you know, these nightmare people keep, keep arriving on the scene again and again. Does it affect you? I mean, I, when, when Trump was at his peak, Ugh. it would just... It was just—I think it was sort of not that so much that I disagree with his politics, so I did, but it was a sort of sense of a, a madman being in control, and yeah, and certainly during Johnson and Trust, the world didn't feel a very stable place. No, I mean, a bit more with Sunak, but 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 did, did you have experience the same feelings of anxiety? Yes, I, about I, my feelings are of fear because you know I'm old enough to remember preparation for the war and. Once you start trying to turn people against one another, which is what they do, divide, divide and rule all the time, and these three-word slogans, you know, which Hitler started off, um, I get very frightened. And, I, and lying becoming the norm, I think, is very disturbing in, in our leaders, and it has. I just... I'm, I'm hoping that somebody wonderful is going to come along, like Jesus, actually, <laughs> who put us on the right track. That would be good if he's, he's not see fit to moment, come down but, again, yeah. maybe as a woman. Um, 2023, Tom, have you begun to think about that and have you got exciting plans or hopes for, for, for next year? Well, I mean, of course, we, we, we're thinking about 2023. I've uh, I spent much of today sowing beans, uh, which we'll be hopefully harvesting in 2023. We have uh, barley and wheat in the ground already, um, and out in the fields... Can you, the... Can, you, can you sow beans in frost? 
Yeah, well, do you know, it's ideal in in, in uh, cold conditions because we do have to be careful about the soil. And, of course, you wouldn't want to drive a tractor on, on wet, boggy fields. So we wait for the frost so we can just tiptoe across with eight tonnes of, of metal and machinery and, uh, and, put the, and put the beans in. I thought it would be like digging a hole and putting a bean in and then covering it up again. It's not. It's a machine, is it? That's right. We're sowing oh, probably about 30 or 40 beans per square metre and we've covered about 70 hectares this week, so 700,000 square metres. I know you write about technology and farming sometimes and we've talked about robots. I mean, how, how long before you're replaced by a robot, before we have ro- farmer robot? Um, writing the column for us. <laughs> well, there's there's some fantastic AI tools, Alan, and maybe you know maybe they're far you know cheaper and and, uh, and more efficient, better than I am. But uh, I think I think on the farm there there will always be the role of decision maker. In the past, we used to you know look at the the chemistry textbook and look at the calendar and then work out what we needed to do. Whereas nowadays we're very much following the weather following cues from nature we're looking at the the world around us we're trying to work out what the plants and animals are telling us and how we can best work with nature so i think there'll always be a role for that decision maker but you know it may be that robotics help us to um uh, to farm more carefully and more sustainably sheila you you've got a significant birthday coming up yeah. are, are you going to pull the duvet over your head and, and ignore it well or are i would you love to do a massive that. party no i would love to do that i can't bear parties because i'm a bit deaf now and i can't hear what anybody's saying if there's a big crowd so what i'm going to do is I'm, i did it on my 80th birthday i took my entire family away to venice but this time i'm going to take them to the seaside in england and we're all going to be together for a couple of days i'm not on my actual birthday but as a celebration no presents, nothing. I don't want any of that because it's so silly when you get to my age. And which um, bit of the seaside? Well, it's a place called Climping. It's down down oh, in Sussex, yeah. and it's a funny old mock medieval hotel. I've stayed um, there. There's yeah, a spa a, yeah, there, lovely, and there's a yeah. sea, and it's lovely. I've been there before yeah. for Christmas. Yeah. So we're just I just want to focus on the family, and then odd fa- any of my friends who are still alive, of which there aren't many. Um, I'll be having an odd little dinner. Not not cook by me because I'm the worst cook in the world, but I'll get somebody to cook something and we'll have a few little individual. I like to be able to talk to people. I, I don't like the parties that are going on here where everybody's shouting and this banging no, music I, and all I that. I can't bear that. So, I've never liked that. That's not to do with age. I've always been out of my depth at those sort of parties. So, it's so, a so class Sheila, thing, isn't it? So, Sheila, if I, um, I, 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 I like parties and I, and I never mumble, so if I promise not no. to bring a present, can I come along? <laughs> yeah, you can come. You can come. <laughs> so finally, um, we're in the run-up to Christmas. Uh, Tom, what happens on the farm? I mean, you can't take the day off, I suppose, no. on Christmas Day. But, 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 but what does Christmas look like in the Farmer Tom household? Uh, well, you're right. We, we can't take time off. Um, our, our livestock are, are most, most important. So they'll get a, a check on Christmas Day. And we spend a lot of time, particularly in the cold weather, making sure that the that the pipes and the tanks that the water hasn't frozen up. Because uh, if that happens, then that's not not particularly good. So we spend a lot of time with very cold hands trying to uh, trying to mess around with plumbing. Um, but we'll, we'll absolutely once we know that the livestock are okay and we've been to church and and sung uh, um, "Born This Happy Morning," which we can sing on part of that uh, famous verse. We'll we'll just have a big a big family lunch. 
Uh, and some years I'm uh, I'm here in the UK, and other years I I leave the farm with my father and go and visit my wife's family over in the states. So, where where a, where a big family lunch is also the order of the day there. And then of course of course the Christmas Day walk. I mean whether we're you know we're we're farmers, but we still enjoy the Christmas Day walk, as the rest of the population do as well. And then and leftovers of course, Alan. I mean that's 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 course, I think that's yeah. I think that's a given. And Sheila, your, your Christmas looks like what? Well, Christmas this year, I, we, we have alternate years because I've got three daughters, and so they've got in-laws. So this year is an in-law year. So we're going to have a day when we all get together and we're going to do Secret Santa, which means we only have to buy one present, whereas 18 of us when we all get together. And I'm going to go and be with a girlfriend and crash out and probably watch a lot of telly and stuff like that. And I will probably go to a few minutes silence with my Quaker friends and I certainly do make sure that we remember what we're celebrating. I'm getting a little tired of people not and, and they and my daughters sometimes get a bit cross with me because they were brought up as atheists by me until I got my faith back again. But I do like to remind the children that this is a time when a baby was born in abject poverty in a filthy stable and wanted to make things good and lived his life in an exemplary fashion. And I think we're a bit apt to forget that, aren't we? We are. Do you have a, do you have a favourite Christmas film? No, I don't. Everybody talks about that one, you know, where the man doesn't commit suicide. No, I don't. I, <laughs> what's it called? Happy, the Wonderful World oh, or whatever wonderful it is. wonderful life. And I always find that very boring. But... Uh, no, I haven't got a favourite yeah, Christmas yeah. film. I'm probably with Nail and I, or the producers, who are my two, which are my two favourite, but not very <laughs> Christmassy. <laughs> well, on that note, um, Tom, Sheila, and Alice, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Christmas. And you. if you're listening and if you've enjoyed this podcast, you should obviously subscribe to our regular Prospect Lives columns, where you can hear from these wonderful columnists and the rest of the Lives family every single month. You should obviously subscribe to Prospect Magazine. You should obviously give Prospect Magazine as a gift to all your friends and relatives because it's a um, wonderful magazine and it's, um, it will spread joy and happiness throughout the land. Have a wonderful Christmas and we will see you again in 2023. Maybe. <laughs> no, you got kind of ruined it. I, I think you made it, Sheila. I think that was great. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.